for September 5th, 2022. It's the Overthinking It Podcast, episode 740, Hulkness and Gender. Welcome to the Overthinking It Podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I'm your host this week, Mark Lee. That's right, Mark Lee. Not Matt, rather. Not Pete Fenzel. Uh, Matt Rather is off getting a law degree, I know, unlikely turn of events, but um, mm-hmm. he's got a new path he's pursuing in life. And Pete Fenzel is not getting a law degree, but he has uh, something new that he's got to study for, which is being a dad a second time over. That is right. As you've heard on this podcast before, he and his wife have been expecting a child, and that child has arrived. And we are so happy for Pete, um, but uh, he's not able to join us uh, on the podcast for a pretty good reason. So... In their absence, in Matt and Pete's absence, I have with you a, a mighty team of super panelists uh, to discuss superheroes, the law, and uh, many other things beyond that. Matt Belinke, welcome back to the podcast. Great to have you. Uh, it's good to be here. I will try not to smash anything. Uh, if you do, it would be understood. Uh, Jordan Stokes, thanks for being here. How's it going? I, I sent my, uh, my wife a text last night and said, new Fenzel just dropped. <laughs> it's true she fenzel ah, there yeah. you go indeed indeed she fenzel um and that of course is in reference to the topic for this week's podcast the latest marvel cinematic universe tv thing she hulk not he hulk not her hulk not lady hulk but she hulk um we have seen uh two or three episodes, depending on which panels there are. Um, so I guess spoilers through that. And uh, we thought there was enough interesting stuff going on in the show, even though it is obviously not done yet, that we wanted to talk about it and, um, you know, uh, get to engage our, our listeners on it as well. So with that, uh, Matt Belenke, uh, tell the listeners, what is the show about? Who is okay. the She-Hulk? And uh, would you like her when she's angry? <laughs> You you would probably like her more when she's angry than the the traditional Hulk, or the classic Hulk. So She-Hulk is a character that's been around in the comic books since the 1980s. You know, has done basically like all the typical superhero that you know had been part of the Avengers and like fought alongside the Fantastic Four. You know, real typical superhero thing, except for she's just sort of a, a scantily clad Hulk. Um, but then in 2004, they did they did a sort of a solo instead of Shield being like you know one of the rotating cast of characters in the bigger books, they had a solo Shield book that was much lighter, and and really leaned into the sort of silliness and the meta aspects of it because although it was always part of the character of Jennifer Walters that she was a lawyer, you know before she was she was hulked. Um, uh, thanks to a, a blood transfusion from her cousin in the comic books, it was, a, she needed a blood transfusion and, uh, I, 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 I didn't read the, the original episode in 1980, but I, I do wonder if it occurred to anyone involved that like maybe Bruce Banner was not the greatest candidate for that blood <laughs> transfusion. But in any case, so they, they had a, a run in 2004 that they called single green female, and it was very much the inspiration for this TV show, and it's about her. She is hired by a law firm who wants her to head up a new division of the law firm that that handles super metahuman law, right? And that like defense attorneys for superheroes who have found themselves on like the the wrong side of a lawsuit. Um, or super villains in the case of the TV show. Super, right, but but in that case, the, so the, I actually read this in 2004. I remember getting it and reading it with my wife, and we thought it was like it's like a super fun, you know, kind of like a case of the week format. And the episode that I remember is she takes a case from Spider Man who wants to sue J. Jonah Jameson and the Daily Bugle for uh, defamation. Uh, because they've been printing horrible lies about him for many years, and she takes on this case, and she, you know, drags J. Jonah Jameson into the stand, and they, um, and and you know, even Peter Parker is not taking it that seriously. And there's a, a, a sort of a, a notorious sort of tongue-in-cheek page, is that she she questions him on the stand. This is Spider-Man in costume, and asks him like, you know, so Spider-Man, why why do you think that J. Jonah Jameson has such an axe to grind against you? And he's like, well, I think. It's because I'm black. 
And J. Joe and everyone just <laughs> glares at J. Joe to Jameson. And he's like, well, I, I didn't know. Some of my best friends are. And it's part of his like, I'm oh. kidding. I'm kidding. Oh. Um, and then the, the comic book ends that like he's about to lose the case. And so Spider-Man agrees to settle with him. If I think it's it's something really humiliating. Like he has to dress as a chicken in Times Square and like spend the whole day like talking. It, it's just one of these things where he just wants to humiliate him. Spider-Man just wants to humiliate. So that's like a typical She-Hulk plot is like it's a superhero, maybe like a well-known superhero supervillain, but in a much sort of lighter context than you would normally see them. The, the stakes are like very frivolous and fun. And that is definitely what they're going for in this TV show, because yep. already in the first few episodes, we get uh, we get Bruce Banner, Mark Ruffalo doing the doing the Hulk thing. Um, we get um, it, uh, rather. This is a guy I never expected to see back in the Marvel Universe. Um, uh, Tim Roth, uh, who we have not seen since the 2008 Incredible Hulk movie, which was the second movie that Marvel ever produced came out the same summer as Iron Man with um, Ed Norton as the Hulk. And it was honestly, it's not bad. There are way worse movies in the world than like the 2008 <laughs> Incredible Hulk, but it certainly like didn't really, you know, the, uh, partially because Ed Norton was like extremely difficult to work with and sort of distanced himself from the movie and was promptly recast when the character returned in the Avengers. Um, and so that like we definitely never expected to see a follow up with the supervillain. But here we go. So it's like 15 years later, 14 years later, probably even longer in the continuity of Marvel, which I keep forgetting. It's taking place some time in the future, thanks to the five year time skip. But now we get Tim Roth comes back. And the interesting thing is like in the movie, the Incredible Hulk movie, he is not a funny character. He is a very intense you know, a a black ops super soldier for the U.S. government who is, uh, you know, then allows himself to be injected with this sort of experimental Hulk blood to try to, like, you know, make himself into the ultimate killing machine and then becomes the abomination. And the Hulk has to fight him through the streets of Harlem. So there's nothing funny about him at all. But when he appears in this show, he is a real, he's a real hoot, you know, and he has like a, I believe there are there are seven different women that he um, refers refers to as his soulmates. And in episode three, he's talking to the parole bird, so he refers to he refers to the seven women as his better eights. <laughs> you know, and there's and there's a bunch of things like in the, I don't know if you guys have gotten to episode three, but like during the hearing, there's a guard who like appears who's testifying on his good behavior, and he's like, you know, the prisoners here they used to make uh, toilet wine, and now they make toilet sambuca. You know, stuff like that. And he's just like, you know, like the prison library used to just be like a place where you could like a quiet place where you could go to shoot people in the back of the head. Um, And then now and now it's a place where there's like people actually learn stuff. Um, So, I mean, there's a lot of. And and then uh, so the other big cameo is and here's here's the thing. Marvel obviously interweaves this stuff very well some might say too well because it's getting to the point where you can't there's a ton of content and it's difficult to pick and choose it because you need to you know i mean a good example is like does multiverse of madness even make sense if you haven't seen wandavision so you you can't just go to the the you know the big marvel movie of the summer or i guess you could but you have to accept the fact that you're going to be missing out on context so for for those of you who saw, uh, this is just you know an example of how they're they're interweaving everything. Uh, Shang Chi, right? There's a scene where he sort of shows up at this underground fight club in in Hong Kong or or some uh, nebulous, perhaps fictional, uh, far eastern city, right? And he encounters uh, Wong, the Sorcerer Supreme, who's fighting the Abomination. Although in that case, not Tim oh, Roth, just a CGI right, thing, yeah. right? And although it, yeah. it is Tim Roth doing the voice. Of the abomination in in Shang Chi, yeah, which is right. like at the time a absolutely bonkers cameo, but like wheels were in motion already, I guess. Right. So it it feels it it felt very much like that could just be a fun cameo, like they wanted to show a crazy fight going on, and it's it's one of those things that like maybe it just sort of implies it just hints at 
a larger series of like things that are going on in the Marvel universe, but we never really expected to get the details. But in shield episode three, it's all about footage of this fight club. Basically the, the same footage we see from Shane Chi gets out onto YouTube and it becomes a big, everyone wants to know how did abomination get out of his secure prison cell and was fighting with Wong. And so that a lot of the episode becomes about, uh, Jennifer Walter, She-Hulk needs to contact Wong and get him to appear before the parole board and get him to explain why he dragged Abomination out of his, which apparently, by the way, it was part of Wong's um, initiation to become Sorcerer Supreme, that he needed to defeat certain, you know, uh, superpowered individuals in fights to sort of prove his worthiness. So he he admits to to pulling Abomination out of that cell. And that the real kicker to me is like, I didn't realize this until I looked at it online, but if you watch Shang-Chi again, at the end of that fight, you can see they open up a portal and they pass through it and they're actually walking onto the exact same prison set from She-Hulk. That you can actually see huh. Wong, Wong is returning Abomination to the cell that we see in She-Hulk episode two. So it's like, I mean, that's one of those examples. Like, you never expected that scene in Shake Chi to be a headache for a lawyer at some point, but they, they get like a great 30 minutes of comedy out of like her trying to sort of like hand wave this awkward YouTube video away. Um, and then Wong is like another great, you know, the last time we saw him was Multiverse of Madness, which was not, you know, I mean, he's also, he's always kind of funny. He's got like a very light touch with the silly stuff, but like, that was not a funny movie, right? That was kind of like a dark and, and disturbing sort of Sam Raimi movie. But here Wong is really funny and he gets like a lot of good lines. Um, and you know, the first time, um, she-Hulk contacts him. He's like, I know what you're thinking. You want me to erase everyone's memories, but I, I tried that recently. It didn't go that well. And she's like, that is not what I was thinking. That sounds like it's probably illegal. Um, <laughs> which, of course, is another reference this time to Spider-Man. So it's like this this show is a lot of fun picking up any sort of like loose threads from the other Marvel properties and just playing with them in, in what feels like a kind of a low stakes way, partially because like the tone of the show is like, it, it's a sitcom, right? And it's, it's, it plays like a sitcom. And so it almost feels like it's, I mean, I'm sure it's Canon, but it almost feels like they get hand wave the whole show away and you're not supposed to take it that seriously, you know, in terms of lore, that and the fourth wall breaking, which we should talk about more in a second. But just like to underline your point um, uh, about the interconnectivity of this, but also like the low stakes of it. I have not seen the Incredible Hulk movie. I have not seen Multiverse of Madness. Uh, I have seen WandaVision, though. So I'm like missing out on a lot of these details. But the show still works, right? Because it is fundamentally – you tend to know the basics about the Hulk um, and, and Hulkness. Um, and you also need to uh, be able to appreciate a workplace sitcom. And those are kind of your your entry criteria into this. So, like, you know, Marvel's congratulations to them. They checked off uh, quite a few boxes there um, in terms of, like, you know, allowing someone to to enjoy this. Yeah, Jordan? I was just thinking that it's interesting that, like, it doesn't really depend on your having seen Shang-Chi, but it does depend on your having seen a lawyer show, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the, the cultural competence that you need is is not all that deep. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So that that certainly in episode three, which is I, the, the first two episodes are honestly kind of set up that the first episode is about how she got her powers. The second episode, which is much, I think, not even 30 minutes, is about how she gets her new job as a lawyer specifically for superhumans. And the third episode, it, it settles into this lawyer show thing, including like one thing I, I distinctly remember from like, you know, the heyday of lawyer shows is like you always have two cases going on. Right. There's like, you know, two different people handling two cases at the law firm. There's like the main case, which is like a little more dramatic. And like, you know, the main character handles it. And then there's like a wacky B plots. Oh, tell you know, me about the, what's the what's the subplot? What's the, the subplot is actually case? great. So the subplot is a, a a toxic character who was the the um the sort of alpha male uh, uh, lawyer that she's working with at the DA's office comes to her for help because he was dating somebody that he thought was Megan the Stallion, but turned out to be an Asgardian with shape-shifting powers, pretending to be <laughs> Megan the Stallion. Which, by the way, the episode does feature Megan the Stallion in a cameo, both as the elf and as herself, that shows up at the end to just be be pissed about the whole thing. Um, and it is it is very funny the whole because there's um. 
there's one part where the the elf, you know, not in Megan the Stallion form, but in the elf form, tries to get the um the case dismissed because she's like, well, I'm a I'm an Asgardian diplomat, so I have diplomatic immunity. But the judge is like, well, you know, but we're not we're not actually in New Asgard, so your diplomatic immunity doesn't apply. And she's like, but in a way. Asgard is not a place. It's a people. And whatever the people and the judge interrupts is like, I'm sorry, Thor's inspirational speeches are not uh, admissible in court. Because <laughs> it's it's literally just a quote from so it's that kind of a show, right? Where like people yeah. you know will will almost you know, I mean she straight up breaks the fourth wall, which I think I think the producer said that it's it's a flea bag homage. How she sort of like, you know, steps outside the frame of the show. In the, the third episode, by the way, she looks at the camera and then assures us that it's not going to be a cameo of the week thing, that we should not get used to having a celebrity guest star in every episode. Because mm. she's like, just remember whose show this is, okay? Don't get too excited about Wong. Okay. That's interesting because I think it's also a thing that the She Hulk comics did a lot back in the day is like have her talk directly to the, well, camera is the wrong word, but. Uh, <laughs> But it can, it can certainly also be a flea bag homage. Let's, let's let's talk a little bit more about this, right? So it is the, the fourth wall breaking. Um, I don't recall any other Marvel thing um, doing it, right? It, there are plenty well, of other kind of winks meta moments um, where it, it will every once in a while kind of you know give a nod that like you know this this is a this is a a, a fictional thing. Um, that is aware of other media and its own status as media. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, though, but like, I don't think anything has gone like this far out to like just like really like directly address the camera this way. I mean, the thing that has is Deadpool, but that's not really core Marvel. Stuff, right, right, right. That's kind of out of out of bounds, I think, for this. But yeah, that's 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 a good comparison point there, right? Like, and you know, the the Deadpool exists really as a commentary right and it's kind of a way to, to skewer the seriousness of the x-men movies and 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 on all those properties um marvel the, the the main line of the marvel cinematic universe has never quite been uh kind of as leadenly ser- leadenly serious as the x-men movies and is not quite needing of skewing kind of taking down pegs um or, or is it though like what I mean, is going what is really anything. going on what is being accomplished by the fourth wall thing aside from just like Marvel saying, like, let's try something new and novel in this low stakes uh, streaming format. It is it is interesting, right? Like, because the I don't think any of the fourth wall breaks are necessary. Right. It's all just it's all just jokes. Right. That there's no I mean, in the first episode, she she literally does like, yep, that's me. I'm a Hulk. I bet you're wondering how I got this way. But like, it's not necessary. So it's there for it's there for tone. It's there to establish something about the kind of show it is. And maybe, yeah, like I think I think, you know, Fleabag is a touchstone. Deadpool is another touchstone. And it's sort of like it's that kind of a here you know she doesn't straight up say i'm a character in a tv show right it's, it's not it's not that for while breaking like dead it's a good walk to the, the line though this is like you know this is she some, says something to the effect of like this is a TV show yeah, maybe, I think maybe it is. Episode. I mean, like, you know, like Dead Deadpool will straight up reference Patrick Stewart. And like she's she's not gonna talk about Mark Ruffalo, right? She's gonna talk about Bruce. But it is it is close, right? And and you feel like it's not outside the realm of possibility that she could talk about like, you know, in the last episode, she could be like, Oh, save that for the second season. Yeah. There was the the very, very funny line when uh she asks Bruce Banner, like, are you okay with me defend like defending abomination? And he's like, Oh, that was so long ago. I was literally a different guy. <laughs> and then and then there's a very brief fourth wall break where she just turns to the camera and says, Ha ha. Right. <laughs> so But yeah. I mean the, the kind of the question what's what's interesting about it though is that um they still want us to take the rest of the Marvel movies seriously, right? Like, it's kind of interesting that you have these two things that are in the same universe that uh, presumably the stuff that happens in the She-Hulk show, like, at least if it does well, if they don't just, like, say, like, well, that was a failed experiment, let us never speak of it again, there will be things that are introduced here that will pop up in in the movies. So... They're asking us to, on the one hand, 
live in this kind of sitcom version of the Marvel universe where someone can talk directly to the camera and crack wise about casting choices and then have like those same characters show up in a very serious movie a couple of years down the line where we're going to feel sad if they get turned into dust. Yeah. Um, I think a a really good example of that is they've already announced that like in later episodes of the She-Hulk, they're going to have Daredevil. Right. Who's a lawyer who's a New York City lawyer. So it makes sense that he would show up in the show. But there's a character who is always very much on the grim dark spectrum to the point where, like, you know, the the I think there was some some debate about whether the Daredevil TV show could even be part of Disney Plus because it's so violent and so, so dark. And I think I think they had to introduce like new parental controls to Disney Plus before they were allowed to, to put the, the Daredevil show on there. And they, they have already announced that there's going to be a new Daredevil uh you know, it won't necessarily be like a new season of the show, but there'll be like a new Daredevil thing with Charlie Cox, which I imagine will be very dark and violent. But here he is showing up in the show, and I'm sure that he's going to be played for laughs as like a blind superhero lawyer. And so it's like it's not just that, you know, the it's it's like a self-contained comedy thing. It's like a thing where characters could show up and act one way but we still are expected to take them seriously like the next time we see wong the stakes might be very much life and death and it will he will not be you know full of full of quips and punchlines and just to be clear yeah. we're not complaining about this evolution no it's format, interesting right? yeah like it's it's very good i um i'm i'm very happy to be able to see a goofy funny superhero show and then also a uh, a grim dark one Um, But it's just sort of an interesting balancing act. And it's on the one hand, like we know it can be done because they they've done this in the comics forever. Right. Like, you know, uh, Howard the Duck is an in canon member of the Marvel (laughs) comics, the Marvel comics universe. Like he'll hang out with the Avengers in his own book. But he's also a, a talking animal without pants who, you know, gets uh gets whopped on the head with a mallet and goes where a lot right that that doesn't really cause a problem with comic books i feel like partially because there's just so much of the comic stuff out there that it's kind of taken for granted that outside of a few obsessives nobody's going to be reading all of it so nothing that happens in any one comic except for like certain sort of tentpole ones can really be taken all that seriously. Um, or like, like, it's not like it doesn't happen. I think that they, they, they're pretty good about keeping track of these are the events that have taken place. Like this is the status of every particular character. Um, if like, if someone has died in comic number one, you're not going to have them show up in comic number two, the editorial team takes care of that. But the notion that uh, there's a version of a character who's kind of goofy sitcom in this book and then in another comic that's coming out the same month, they're deadly serious. Like that's sort of taken care of by the idea that, well, you you're going to be spending your dollars on a certain number of issues of comics and you kind of find the the ones that matter to you. And that's the real thing for you with the Marvel movies. It's a little bit trickier because they're also they're so damn expensive, right? That it's kind of, you can't have one that's just for, just for goofs. That's going to have like a smaller audience that doesn't want to take these things seriously. You you can't have one um, as maybe Sony found out to their peril. Like you can't, you can't do Morbius the living vampire, right? Because <laughs> there, there is probably a, a audience that wants basically horror comics movies, but it's not big enough to sustain these things at the the level of money that goes into it. And kind of kind of an an, uh, an emblematic thing with this is what you were uh, what you were saying before about how if you go back and watch Shang Chi, they're walking onto that same jail cell set that they have in She Hulk, right? Now, like you could do that gag in comics, sure, and it, what it takes is two drawings. Right. But to do that gag in uh, in like yeah, live action it. movies, you need to like build that set, right? Or at least um, have a picture then, of it that you could put in the background. You know that you have to plan ahead pretty significantly, yeah. have all your design done. And if it, if it is going to be a a live set, 
then, I mean, those things typically get broken down when they're no longer needed. If this uh, this TV show is coming out several years from now, you now have to keep that set constructed for several years, and that's an expense that you don't need to be worrying about. You know, you can plan ahead and say, well, because we're going to be doing this later on, we're going to make sure that it's a CGI set and it's all done on a green screen. But then you still have to be like keeping track of all that stuff, right? When we get to this TV show, make sure that that scene is done on green screen because we've got this CGI set that we need to use when we get to it. The logistical challenges are significant, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it does It does seem, you know, I mean, the problem is these things have to be planned so far out. But like, you know, the, the, also the the one of the advantages of comic books is you could draw them relatively quickly, right? You could, you know, churn them out like once a month. Um, because you can imagine a world where like, you know, every time like a Marvel movie comes out, there's always like some kind of a little thread you could pick up and turn into like a shield plot where like, she's got to, she's got to clean up whatever mess the Avengers leave behind or, you know, so, but of course, like the, I doubt it almost feels like instead of it being like a TV show, it could be like, there could be like a she Hulk episode that drops after like, you know, uh, you know, sporadically whenever there's another Marvel property, almost as like a, like a tie in. Right. Right. Just like, um, like a completely one off sort of thing. I mean, I like, what, we're, what, we're seeing here, what we're seeing here, right, is an innovation of the of, of the platform. And it's the fact like every dial you can possibly imagine is being swiveled to various extremes. And that includes like, you know, the fourth wall breaking, the amount of humor, the pratfalls, and then also things like, you know, length of season, length of episode, like kind of really just like, you know, breaking down a lot of the assumptions we've had before about like, what is a movie? What is a television show? What does it have to be a series? Does it have to be however many things long? Um, like, you know, well, no, you know, it doesn't have to be X, Y, or Z. Let's just kind of like let's mess around with it. Great. So let's talk about um, the, the uh, kind of one of the main conceits of the show, right, which is about um hulkness and gender right this exploration of what it means to have a she hulk because it is right there in the title right i mean we have spent um what uh, a a decade plus with the uh briefly ed norton and now bruce banner version of the hulk right and you know this identification with rage and anger right and um and i think the subtext of that character and his arc has to do you know, with the male identity and, um, and and how he's come to terms with controlling the anger over the years. Um, but we get something very different with the She-Hulk, right? And it comes out all in the first episode. And it's 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 none of this is like really below the surface. The show is really wearing its gender politics on its sleeve, um, and it just straight up comes out and says, right, like. Uh, I'm the She-Hulk. I've had to deal with, um, you know, a certain you know level of anger, like my entire life as a woman, um, and I've also had to control it as a woman as part of just like coping uh, with, with daily life. I'm different from my cousin Bruce Banner, the male Hulk. I'm the She-Hulk. Um, deal with it, and it moves on from there. So, like with Jordan and Matt, like what do you think else is going on here in terms of like gender identity and Hulkness, in particular, this like theme of anger? Well, I mean, it's interesting because part of it's putting putting aside the statement that it's making about gender. They have like a a plot question to answer, which it is true that like the Hulk's defining characteristic, at least until recently when he became smart Hulk and and they got rid of the whole anger component of himself, which I assume, by the way, if the Hulk sticks around, it's it's hard to imagine the Hulk continuing to be a presence in the Marvel Universe without like anger and be, having to control your anger being a, a factor there um but she hulk you know I, I don't know the complete history of the character but i do know that like in the 2004 iteration it was you know she could turn into hulk and it has no effect whatsoever on her emotional state that she's just she's just herself but she's much larger and stronger um and so that like she can do things like i don't know like go to the office as hulk and appear in court as hulk and it's not a dangerous thing so that like in a way they they need a reason why her manifestation of the hulk is different than it was for bruce which is like it's very he becomes like extremely emotional and he can't control himself as the hulk and the way that they you know i think this is an interesting conceit which is you know she's like being a woman 
And I, I think, I don't know if she says it, but I, I think it maybe is implied like being a professional woman in maybe a male dominated profession, right? Being in a, being oh, a yeah. place it's explicit like, in the show. Yeah. yeah. Is that like requires like there is a lot of frustration and there's a lot of anger in controlling that and keeping it inside is like a survival mechanism. Sometimes, I mean, I think I think she she straight up says it's like, you know, if I don't control my anger, like I could get killed. Like all women know this. Yep. Um, which I think, I think it is, there's, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, and I think, I think it's an interesting, it's an, I think it's an elegant way of explaining the mechanics of the way this Hulk works. Yeah. It's interesting because they're, they're kind of painted into a corner with it because the comics character of She-Hulk has always been sort of. Like when she's in Hulk form, she's still smart and still in control. That's just what that character always was. So like you can't have her uh, hulking out and going on rampages, really. Um, They've done that, I think, uh, according to some Wikipedia sleuthing that I was doing prior to this broadcast. They have done that kind of plot line with her, but it's always like, a, a weird thing that is happening. You know, what, what's what's up with Jessica? She's actually acting. She's acting like the Hulk now. That's that's strange. That's off. That's odd. Um, so you couldn't, you couldn't, if you're going to have any connection to the Marvel comics, which the the Marvel Cinematic Universe really does, I think. Like they're they're pretty careful about trying to keep certain kinds of through lines and ideas from the comics connected. You need to have her be in control. And then they're they're trying to figure out a way to have her be in control. What's interesting, there's a, there's a little bit of like a a slippage or a double talk that goes on with this though, because uh, in that moment when she's saying, "Oh, I I know how to control my anger. I have to because because of the patriarchy," she's doing that in order to convince Bruce that she can turn back from the Hulk into her normal self whenever she wants to, with the idea at that point being that she's just going to not be a Hulk ever, that she's going to stay as regular Jen Walters and just never use her Hulk form. And her control of her anger is what will allow her to do this. But then very quickly that kind of turns into, oh no, her control over her anger is what allows her to operate as the Hulk without losing her, losing her humanity and losing her control and destroying cities and things like that. And what that ends up creating is a situation where uh, kind of classic Hulk, leaving, leaving smart Hulk out of it for now, classic Hulk is a situation where Bruce Banner is kind of constructed as not manly with big scare quotes around manly. And then as he goes into a state of uncontrollable rage, his is like his lack of ability to control his anger, his ability to be controlled by his anger and lean into his anger makes him more perfectly masculine and gives him superpowers. And then you have uh, with Jennifer Walters, you have her ability to control her anger and to uh, to sort of stay nice and helpful and friendly to everyone around her. That's what allows her to become more perfectly feminine. And there, I mean, there are it's explicit in the dialogue, right? Like whatever you think about the CGI, many characters say, like, by the way, the She-Hulk form is very attractive, right? Uh, like th- that's that's what gives her the superpowers. So it's a, a kind of an interesting. Um, I don't know exactly what to say. Double standard is the word that comes to mind. I feel like that's that's putting way too fine a point on it. But like the the masculine archetype involves giving in to rage and channeling rage um, in like stupid destructive ways, <laughs> whereas the feminine archetype involves just like never getting angry at all. Hmm. You know, there's there's an interesting inversion that happens in the show versus the same sort of setup in the comic book. So in the comic book. It it starts out that she is a member of the Avengers. She's like going off world and like fighting aliens in space. And she is uh kicked out of the Avengers for like partying too hard. She's like a like a wild party girl. Um, and then is hired by a law firm because they want her as a lawyer, not as a superhero. But one of the conditions of her job is that they want her to show up as 
Jennifer Walters, not as She-Hulk. And mm, she is right. very uncomfortable with that because she likes to be She-Hulk. She does not like the woman that she was before. And to her, becoming She-Hulk was like super empowering. And she like doesn't want to be puny Jen. She wants to be like the big green, you know, like awesome super lady, right? And so showing up it, it it would it would be like you know if if uh, superman got hired as a reporter and they they just want clark Kent's, right and he's like but i like big superman um now in the tv show it's played almost the opposite where like she does not want to be she hulk she toys with the idea in like the first or second episode they're like she'll she doesn't have to turn into she hulk maybe she'll never be she hulk she just wants to be a regular anonymous human lawyer and her employer one of the conditions of her employment is they want her to appear as She-Hulk, which is interesting because there's no practical reason why that has to be. Like, they don't want her to use superpowers. They just want, and this is interesting, they, they want the publicity of having somebody who is very obviously a superhero on their staff. They they want, you know, they're <laughs> It's I mean, they, right? they want her to be like the the token black kid in the college brochure, basically, right? Is kind of right. Like they they want to have the the yeah they they want her to parade her her superhero ness. They want her to be green for the photos. Um, yeah, and for, there might be a pra- there might, for the brochure. Yeah, I mean, the practical reason might be I don't know, like you know, help, helping um helping their clients who are meta humans. Um, better relate to their to their star attorney. It's like, it is, hey, it know, is what, interesting what because it's it's. I mean, so in both cases, in both the comic book and the TV show, it's the same setup where it's it's they want her to appear as the form that she's least comfortable with, right? So she's not comfortable in her own skin. In the comic book, she loves being She Hulk, and she's been She Hulk for like decades at that point. So asking her to like basically give up being She Hulk and just be like a regular woman is a sacrifice. Um, Whereas in this one, like she doesn't want to stick out like a sore thumb, and she doesn't she doesn't want the burden of being a superhero. Um, but it is, so, yeah. But let me draw another comparison to uh, something that we keep. Com- I feel like we keep coming back to uh, since it came out, which is the movie, uh, of course, Turning Red, right? Um, where we have uh, a, a female character who, um, for lack of a better word, hulks out, right, <laughs> and takes on this alter yeah. ego and has to reconcile these two different sides of her, and at the end of it, becomes comfortable with, um, well, kind of the heroes or anything, right? You know, master of two worlds, right? She she can you know control both aspects of her personality. <laughs> Um, but notably, right, like that is very much a coming of age story and it is about a girl becoming comfortable uh, with her uh, with her fundamental identity, right? That identity creation aspect of it. Now, notably, She-Hulk is a, an adult. She's a grown ass adult with, as she very mentioned twice <laughs> over the first two episodes that I saw, six figures of law school debt, right? Um, she doesn't have that same sort of need to figure out who she is. Uh, that uh, the character in Turning Red does, or does she? Like, what really, like, what character development do we see going on here um, with her She-Hulkness? This is interesting because, like, one of the things that that seems to go on in some of the comics, Matt, you can probably talk more about this, is that, like, as Jennifer Walters, she was, like, a, a, a kind of... Um, Nerd is not even the right word, just like someone who is completely driven in her academic pursuits and her professional pursuits to the point where she really didn't have a life. Yeah. 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 Like uh, and and becoming She-Hulk is kind of, uh, you know, it's not it's not going through puberty the way that it is in Turning Red, but it does do some of the same things where it's like, now I'm fun. Now I have friends. Now everybody wants a piece of this. And she likes nothing more than to like drink a gallon of scotch and then sleep with an underwear model or something like that. Like that's, that's one of the things that gets her kicked out of the Avengers uh, mansion. As I recall, (laughs) is that her, her frequent overnight guests are like, they're like, look, we, we don't have a problem with it. Right. We're not trying to shame you, but like they all have to get background checks and it's because, Becoming a problem for them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, they're, they're mooching our Netflix, or in this case, they're mooching our Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and like that, uh, that doesn't seem to be there in the TV show, right? The, the notion that there's like a um, kind of an id and a libido in the Hulk form of She-Hulk that is not there in the Jennifer Walters form. 
which then that, that does kind of leave a little bit of a vacuum, right? Because what's the is there any personality difference between them at all? Uh, there is in the sort of introvert extrovert thing, right? Uh, in in the comics, but here it really seems more like um, you know. It's it's more like a different haircut that she puts on sometimes or something like yeah. this. Yeah, very notably, right? Uh, Jennifer Walters has curly hair. She-Hulk has straight hair. Um, so, like, there's that, uh, obviously, among other physical differences, right? Um, but I, I think what's going on here is kind of like the televisionness of this show is coming through here, where, like, character development and character arc are less important than kind of like, um, you know, the Dan Harmon's uh, story circle thing, right? Where, you know, you kind of um, kind of keep returning back to home base. Like, you know, the character needs to have, a, actually, it's a feature on a bug that the character has some stasis going on. Um, mm. Now, that being said, you could do a version of the show where it is much kind of like Jekyll and Hyde sort of thing. Um, or, or uh, yeah, where, where, where one is more of an introvert and the other one is an extrovert. Um, but it's just like very clearly not what the show is trying to do. Um, it's it's just allowing it to focus in other areas, I think. Yeah, it, w- it would be a lot to keep track of, right? Um, although, it, I mean, it's interesting because uh, this this actress Tatiana Maslany, right? She she got famous for playing many different personalities on the same <laughs> show, true. right? Like, oh, it, Orphan it, Black, that's her. Yeah, yeah. that's her. Uh, okay. And you've got to think that part of what they hired her for is like, oh, well, you'll be playing two characters, right? Like that's a <laughs> that, that should be a cakewalk for you in particular. But then I don't know that she actually ends up having to to really do that. I should say, by the way, like uh, she's she's a delight in this. Um, you know, I've, I've only seen her in those two shows, but uh, she's really really good in both of them. And I, whoever is sort of in charge of the mocap stuff to make uh, to make the She-Hulk face work right uh, is also doing a really great job. And I don't know, it's interesting. Like, I think she's a very good actress. She is maybe a very deliberate actress also. Like, if you, if you go back and watch a scene, you'll sort of say, like, ah, that gesture, that gesture, that gesture. You can kind of see, like, all of the strings getting pulled. And yet, in a way that doesn't, doesn't really detract from it. And in a, I think works really nicely with the kind of fourth wall breaking and comic bookiness and goofiness of this particular, particular TV show. So it's a really nice fit for like her particular performance style and then like the 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 things that she has to pull off and the tasks that she needs to perform. Mm-hmm. It, it really there's a, if there's two different personalities that are being performed here it's not so much Jen Walters She-Hulk but like the the version of this character that is invested in the plot and the version that is going to step away to break the fourth wall for a minute and I, I, you know usually it, it involves her like turning her head or something like that but I'm convinced that she could do it while just like facing flat front by just having her face change. Cause that, that's sort of the kind of thing that she pulls off. You know, what's interesting is there's been a lot of ink spilled about the CGI in the show, about how much it cost, about whether or not it's, it's up to snuff, but it, it kind of seems like they maybe didn't need it. Like, like the, the Hulk, the, the traditional Hulk needs to be CGI because he's a giants of a man, right? Even Lou Ferrigno is not as bulky as, you know, the Bruce Banner Hulk. But, you know, because She-Hulk is more, you know, she's, she, you know, she looks strong, but she doesn't look ridiculous. It feels like they could have just sort of done the Hobbit style where it could have just been her in green makeup. Um, you know, but just composited to look like she's larger when she's the She-Hulk, you know, certainly like for face shots. I don't know if it has to be a completely CGI face, even though it is. They they kind of made it harder on themselves. Well, I don't know. Maybe CGI is easier these days. But but yeah, like you, you definitely could have done it with just like dual casting, right? Like find some some like very tall, muscular Amazonian woman to play She-Hulk and some smaller woman to play Jen Walters, right? That would be easy. They probably could have done it with like in-camera special effects, but no, they they wanted the CGI. Which maybe I mean you know I'm sure they have plans. You know they've already announced that there are more Avengers movies coming. I think three years from now, and I would assume 
that, you know, everyone, I, I don't know if S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to be a pivotal member of that crew, but she'll definitely show up at some point. So that, like, maybe it's like, well, we need her to be CGI just because she's going to, you know, even though at this point in the show she has done very little in the realm of super heroics, you would assume, I mean, going back to what you were saying earlier, Stokes, which is like, right now it doesn't seem like there's much of a point of her being a superhero because it doesn't seem to influence her personality wise in any way but obviously the the themes that were set up in the first episode you know because bruce almost went as far as to say with great power comes great responsibility right right um (laughs) and it was sort of like you can't just go back to being a lawyer because like the earth is going to need you like like it or not like you are special you have a gift and you you are a superhero whether you want to be or not and And, and presumably she this season is going to sort of circle back that way and i don't think she's going to stop being a lawyer but i think she is also going to embrace being she-hulk part-time yeah it would be a disappointment if this show which seems to be really going out of its way to uh emphasize all the interesting you know lawyery and legal legal aspects of this that kind of reverts back to the cgi punching mean of a Marvel Marvel movie. I mean, it's it's gonna get it's it will come back for sure. Um, yeah, but. I mean, very brief spoilers for the end of episode three. There is a group of of somewhat inept villain wannabes that try to accost her and seem to be like wanting to get a sample of her blood. Who she she tosses them in the in the dumpster fairly easily, but it's sort of set up like okay, they're working for somebody or they're gonna return with a better plan and like there's something going on and there's going to be superhero punching sooner or later. You know, right, right, right. sort of inter interweaving around the uh, the episode, uh, case of the week stuff that like there's something coming. I mean, you got to have some of it, right? But I will be a little bit disappointed if when they get to, you know, in the in the season finale, when there's the big conflict, if uh, they resolve that by her saying, like, all right, enough enough lawyer time. Now it's clobbering time. Oh, yeah, that, that's the thing. Now, now it's hulking out <laughs> time. Um, like, you know, I, I'm not going to write off the whole series if that's what they do, but that would be disappointing. You want it to be something where, like, sure, maybe there are a couple of uh, pretty tense fights, but then the thing that she does to solve the big problem of this of the season is some clever lawyer thing right that, that's what right. you that's what you kind of want right. because like, straight off the bat right in the first episode we have like her clever lawyer lawyering is interrupted uh interrupted by the cgi punching and so now we kind of we need to kind of like get back there's there's there, there's um a a, 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 a an, an open loop there that needs to be closed yeah, which is the the opposite balance of let's say Daredevil, where like he's a lawyer and he's serious about the lawyering, but at the end of the day, it's more important that he go and, and punch, right? He he understands that about himself. <laughs> that the lawyer the lawyering is is still a you know a you know the cover for his secret identity, and that's his true mission. Whereas Jen, I think, feels the opposite that like she might accept the fact that she's Shield and she's got a role to play there, but like her main identity is going to be that person in the courtroom and so it does it does seem you know it's 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 fun to try to sort of like reverse engineer what kind of a plot line in the final episode is going to require to have like a knockdown drag out fight but is going to end with her winning by being a, a better lawyer yeah you almost want it to be something where like she she needs to engineer somehow like in the fight she gets somebody to do something which she can then like introduce as evidence in the trial right that like because of something that happened in the punching she can then go into the courtroom and call a surprise witness maybe that's what it is is that like there's a there's there's a you know um I keep killing their villains is the problem. Like, let's say it's like the uh, the vulture, right, has like broken out of jail and is flying away on his uh, his robot wings, and uh, she needs to like go catch him and beat him down and drag him back so that he can provide uh, crucial last minute testimony in the case or something like that. Mm. Yeah, I'm help. really curious what what the next cases of the week are going to be because so they started things off with in a way like what what the most obvious case would be so it's the the bad guy from the only hulk movie that marvel has ever done so that's that's kind of the low-hanging fruit and also like maybe the biggest sort of uh celebrity cameo tim roth is i mean although he hasn't really feels like he hasn't really been in a lot recently still like a pretty big name but 
I am curious, like, okay, what about next week? What, what case is she going to take on? Is it going to be another, you know, even though she did break the fourth wall to promise us that it was not going to be wall to wall cameos, but there are nine episodes of this thing. So they've still got six episodes to go. They could introduce a lot of, I, I don't know who's, I'm, I'm actually really curious to see, you know, who walks through her office door next week. Since the, this week it was, it was Tim Roth and Megan the Stallion. How are you going to top that? And it's kind of there's even knowing that whatever whatever gets introduced is going to be sort of dragged into the uh, semi-comic lawyer show that this is. Right. You could have it be, oh, like this is a a drug dealer uh, from Harlem who like has has gotten jammed up by Luke Cage somehow and feels like he's been hard done by. Or it could be like, this is an elder god who is seeking asylum on Earth because uh, Thanos is coming after him or something like that, right? There's, there's a, a pretty vast range that they could draw on. And the tone of the show is going to shift a little bit depending upon which one they do. Well, I suppose they could do both, right? But it, it's going to feel a little bit weird if they bring in the elder god as uh, as case of the week number two, and then go to the uh, the hard done by a drug dealer for case of the week number three. Oh, I've got I've got a good pitch here, right? If we're okay. really talking about um, taking like you know hard genre turns and just kind of uh, just just really going with it and experimenting and turning the dials, let's go for like a Aaron Sorkin as really serious, sincere legal drama involving the Black Super Soldier from falcon and the winter soldier he's suing the u.s government <laughs> for damages yeah. i would i would watch that let's uh let's walk and talk with our giant green strides <laughs> <laughs> there you have it um if that if that comes to fruition well you heard it here first on the overthinking it podcast um i think we'll leave our hulked out discussion there um i can't guarantee if we're going to come back and uh do a discussion to recap the end of this well if we do get that the sorkinesca finale that i just described you better believe that uh that yeah. that we'll be here to discuss that but um you know the, the marvel cinematic universe the te- television thing continue to unfold in interesting ways um uh i look uh, you know there's miss marvel that's still out there and who knows whatever else you know there's you know like new tv series and new movies continue to drop at a pace that far exceeds my ability to watch them uh, but enough of us are watching enough of it. So, of course, we'll be still continuing to talk about Marvel well past the snap and the blip and uh, and the Thanos and all the other good stuff. It continues. Um, oh, so hey, all left. Wanna, yep, you, go ahead, Matt. I just wanted to get out one fun piece of trivia about She-Hulk in case Please. you were sort of on the fence about watching it. So the creator, uh, Jessica Gao, uh, is probably most famous for writing Pickle Rick, probably the, the most uh, beloved episode of Rick and Morty. Reese Morty, I turned myself into a pickle, Morty. Uh. If you not see, if you haven't seen yeah. Pickle Rick, you know what you're doing this weekend. So, so Eddie Gal was like, "Listen, I came, I, I was put on Earth to do one thing, and that's write shows about people who aren't green and then become green." And then become not <laughs> <Yes. green. laughs> that's the connection. There you go. There you have it. All right. That'll do it for this episode of the Overthinking Podcast. All that remains is for me to thank our panelists, Matt. Thanks for coming. It's a pleasure to be here. Jordan, thanks for joining again. Always always happy to do it. Excellent. So you, the listener, is your next step to um, either in a Hulk or a non-Hulk form. Um, contribute to our discussion. You can join us in the comments on the uh, website. You can join our Discord. We have a, always have a wonderful discussion going on over there. Um, either way, just please uh, come back and visit us on overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably doesn't deserve. You know, one thing that's really interesting about this uh, is that this is probably. Is there another TV show that does post-credits gags? There are post-credit gags. Oh, man, I have to come back and watch them. <laughs>